Welcome to Replant Bootcamp, the boots on the ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. 180 has just launched two new products that we think could really help your church. Stick around to the end of the podcast to hear more. All right, welcome to Replant Bootcamp. Glad to have you back with us for another episode. We got another boots on the ground highlight with Nathan Pittman joining me and Bob today. These are getting delayed and our fans are restless, the thousands of them that are out there because we had made a bet on a football game and, and they're wondering they're wondering when they're gonna see you in beautiful purple and gold. Why have they not seen that yet? Yes, that will be coming soon. We are going to rendezvous for the replant uh, end of year team gathering. That will be in Kansas City, Missouri, and we will be recording some podcasts in our uh, ginormous Airbnb studio that we have. And uh, Jimbo and I will be there. I think Kyle Bierman's going to join us. And it's in those episodes that we record in Kansas City in just a couple of weeks that I will have to don the hideous purple and gold and white. LSU pajama. Man, shirt. I think purple and gold looks good on everybody. Uh, I mean, I think I think as we go out to eat, I think it's where wherever we go, you need to be wearing you need to be wearing that shirt. I just I'm trying to get my Ed Ogeron voice down to try to do some of the podcast in my Ed O voice, but you, well, you, it's like it's it's part Cookie Monster and part <laughs> the Cajun guy from from the Adam Sandler movie together and that's how you get the voice it's amazing you know the crazy thing Jimbo I didn't realize this but I was looking up some uh history on Ed O and he was actually a coach at the University of Arkansas under Ken Hatfield when I was I was there in Arkansas during those days yeah he was the strength and training coach right yes amazing. yeah so there's a short little 18 minute documentary on YouTube about Ed Orgeron and it, he talks about that. He had, uh, he had been at McNeese State and thought that, that was going to go full-time. It didn't go full-time. Uh, and so he did what a lot of people in South Louisiana do, especially in Bayou Lafourche, where he's from. And he went and worked on a shrimp boat. Uh, and so he was shoveling shrimp with white shrimp boots and uh, a shrimp shovel out there. And somebody he tells the story because uh, he just wanted to coach so bad. And he was there um, doing that miserable. And he had gotten a, somebody had called the doc and asked for his nickname was Bebe because in South Louisiana, everybody has nicknames and his nickname was Bebe. And they said, Hey, Bebe, you got a phone call from Arkansas. So he comes and he gets on the phone and they say, do you want to come be a strength and training coach? He's in, in the story. He says he took off his shrimp boots, got his shrimp shovel, threw it all in the water and just went home and headed to Arkansas. I was like burning the ships, man. <laughs> so just for the backstory, for our listeners who may not know, Jimbo's a Louisiana guy, and I grew up in Arkansas. I grew up in Northwest Arkansas in Fayetteville, where the University of Arkansas is, Woo Pig Suey. And uh, we have not had anything to cheer about for 30 freaking years. <laughs> we, no, no, no. You had Darren McFadden for a little while, and by himself, Darren McFadden beat several people. <laughs> yeah but who most of our listeners probably don't even know who he is he had a short stint in the nfl and yeah. uh we're we're known for some other things that i just don't want to mention on our podcast so. well well just so you know and you know this my i have family roots in arkansas yes um and so my mom is so arkansas 
You ready? <laughs> so, so you got to ask, how Arkansas is she? <laughs> how Arkansas is she? My mom once, true story, won a hog calling contest to which the prize was a case of mason jars. <laughs> <laughs> so hog calling, like there's, there's different hog, there's different brands of hog calling. Yeah. There's calling the hogs, which is woo pig suey for the Arkansas Razorbacks. And then yeah. there's, we live on a farm and we're calling the hogs up because we're getting ready to slop the hog. This is, this is on the farm. She had to be the loudest and the best and bring the most hogs to call. And she, she, look, I get my loud voice uh, genetically and she won. She won the hog calling contest and the prize was a case of Mason jars. That's awesome. Well, well, look, Nathan Pittman is here with us. Boots on the ground highlight. Got a great question that he sent to us. Nathan, tell us a little bit about yourself and what your question you bring to us today is. Yeah, great. By the way, my roots are in Arkansas, too. Jonesboro, Widener, Forest City. That's where I grew up. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I got family all over Conway, Arkansas. Uh, my family mm -hmm. runs that town, I feel like. And so, <laughs> that's, so we, we all got a little Arkansas heritage going on here. There you go. <laughs> There you go. So my question is um, regarding church replant, church revitalization work that we moved from Florida to Montana in 2009 to be a part of, to lead. And um, when I first got here, there were there was a, a three guys, Terry, Tom, and Ted, who oh. were the board members. I didn't fit in. My name's Nathan. So, but I asked them, you know, what are you guys? And you know, like, are you deacons? Are you elders? And they couldn't give me any clarification on that. And a matter of fact, one of them passed away shortly after I was here unexpectedly had a heart attack on the job. Hmm. Uh, and the other two quickly voiced to me that they didn't, they were selected for this by the pastor, but not necessarily affirmed by the church. So they didn't feel like they fit the role of deacon or elder. They were just selected as people who make decisions for the church. So uh, we began talking about leadership in the church, and they felt really strongly that we needed deacons. And so I took the church through First Timothy, taught through that. The church kind of began to ask questions about that. We had some good discussions about it. And we, uh, as a church, decided to just affirm some deacons, went through the whole process, and we still have those deacons today. Great men, great servants, true deacons. They, de they were deaconing before they were affirmed as deacons. But my question is, since we affirmed them, then people started asking questions. Well, why didn't we affirm elders first? Mm. And so my mm. question is, is there a correct order for that? Deacons, elders, what do you guys think? That's a great question. I, I think one of the words I was introduced recently to was from a church planter here in St. Louis area. And he said, what we have in a lot of our Baptist churches are delders. <laughs> and, and that's a, <laughs> we were like, what? And he said, yeah, you know, a delder. It's basically a deacon who functions as an elder. And so they're all, you know, across the landscape of churches in North America. We just have to say the, the majority of Southern Baptist churches are deacon and congregational led churches, right? Yeah. And so it's just in the last, I would say, five to 10 years that the majority of the church plants that we're seeing are, are recovering this idea of elders. If you look at the, the Baptist faith and message comparison, like the 25, the 63, and the 2000, and you, you compare the language as it talks to uh, the, about the offices of the church, interestingly enough, you're going to find in the 1925 that there's, the word elder is used there. And if you study in Baptist history, 
Baptists have uh, experience or, ha- or, or have elders in their history, but a lot of our churches lost contact with that. Yeah, so how did that happen? How did we historically, I've always wanted to know and can't figure out the answer. And since you're the oldest guy in the room. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for that. I appreciate that. <laughs> how, do you, how did that happen? How did, how did Baptists historically go from having elders and deacons serving in those offices to having elders, the deacon elder model? Where, where did that shift happen? Man, I wish, I wish I had a really good firm answer for that. Um, we probably should get one of our replant friends, uh, a guy named Adam Wyatt, on, I think, because he's done some research on that. My general jest is that we probably lost it in, in the translation somewhere between the 25 and 63, Baptist Faith and Message. And mm-hmm. as we move more towards what we understand today as Baptist congregationalism, it, it, which is interesting, you know, not to get in a whole side about church governance. But as, as a denomination that prizes biblical fidelity, one of the underparts of our fidelity to scriptures is, is talking about the plurality of pastors or leaders in the local church. So um, I don't know if I can comment fully on the history. Probably should do that on a, on a future podcast. But, but if we think about the progression of the church, and this is where, where it, you know, when Nathan, when you were asking your question, what should you start with first? I think, well, what did the what did the church, as it was emerging, it was breaking out in the book of Acts, what did they start with? Obviously, Jesus had called some apostles to, uh, to, to be his disciples, to follow him, to plant churches, to, you know, to, to proclaim the gospel. And one of the first offices that we see them instituting as the leaders of the church was the office of deacon, right? So they had a, a situation where things are, are breaking out in the, in the body, there's needs, there's distribution of food. And so they need leaders to actually come around that distribution of food to make sure that the body's being cared for so that the leaders can then can, can still devote time to, to the word and to preaching and the proclamation of the gospel in the oversight of the church. And so I, I think probably when we jump into a local church, we're going to have some deacons who are there. What I found in, in my replant is I had about six deacons who were all over the age of 70, mm-hmm. who were good, faithful guys. And many of them were good, faithful guys. There was a, a couple of them that were, you know, were, were in the office primarily not because of character, but longevity yep. uh, and faithfulness to the church. And so there, we ran into some issues later. But you usually got in even a, a dysfunctional or a dying or declining church. There are leaders there and there are likely deacons there who've been shouldering the burden of an elder level leadership. So, so I think if, you know, in most cases you, you probably start with deacons because that's how the governance in most churches are set up to, to serve. Like you think of trustees who handle the property facilities, you think of finance team, you know, you think of, they have deacon ministry, those sorts of things. So, so I, I guess in the natural progression, you probably already have some men who are elected to be deacons or appointed in your case you know, by a pastor, maybe they've never been through a process. They, you know, they, they don't know their role. They're maybe not sure that they possess the biblical qualifications, but they might have had a willing heart or an availability to serve. 
I want to applaud Nathan. I appreciate that you started with teaching scripture. I have come ever since our Fred Luter episode to call that the the chicken supper principle. You got to listen to that episode, <laughs> episode nine with Fred Luter. Uh, he talked about when he got to the church that they funded the church not through tithes and offerings and uh, passing a plate, but through selling chicken suppers on the weekend. But I appreciate it. over a two to three year period, he taught them to first understand the authorities, the sufficient of scripture, inerrancy of scripture, and really get them to believe and follow and live out God's word. And then through God's word, help them to see, hey, here's how we need to do finances in the church. And so I applaud that you started with scripture and teaching through First Timothy. And that has to be the foundation. That has to be that is our authority. We we kind of do have a manual on how this works, the Word of God. But in that, you know, I think we see that with deacons and, and elders and, and how that works. But yeah, I, as I got here at our church, there was a there was a handful of deacons that were really functioning as as elders. And so as we talked through the scriptures for a while and understanding the difference between those, and one of the things I even did is I did a Sunday what I call a Sunday night seminar, and I I taught through. And, and not preached, but taught through passages about elders and what does the Bible say about elders. Had had a great Q and A session and a time together with the church, a season of letting them just ask questions and talk through it. Now, in our church, we were replanted as a campus of another church uh, that initially rolled us off as autonomous, but that church was an elder uh, had had elders and deacons. Um, and so one of their requirements for us to roll off autonomous was to have established elders and deacons. And so we, we took all of our deacons that already existed and asked them to go through our mother church's deacon vetting process so they could officially become deacons of that church before they could really officially be deacons as we roll off. Some of them were offended by that and frustrated by that, uh, but some of them submitted to that process. And so I would say figure out a process maybe even with those guys who are in that kind of nebulous leadership role and say, hey, we're going to do an actual deacon vetting process. And even if you're not a campus of another church, I bet you, and I think there would be a benefit to this, find another healthy church in your community that has a strong deacon ministry, a strong deacon body that does it biblically in a healthy way and ask them, hey, what is your vetting process? And can you help us with your deacons, vet, train, and install our deacons, even the guys who are already kind of doing it, and see if there are other men in the church that even, you know, would qualify and would need to be a part of that process as well. And if the church were open to that, I think that could be a, a really healthy process of letting that other church help you do, letting their deacons help you do that. Now, now, Bob, can deacons be like the the farm league for elders, like can you, <laughs> like the JV team. <laughs> can, do, you, do, you, do you have somebody be a deacon and <laughs> and then you start to see, man, they really do have those elder qualities, and you you pull them from the deacons and put them into elders, or what would a pre-elder or what does that what does that process look like? Yeah, you know, I, obviously that would be one place that you would look, right? But because the real challenge of finding elders is in, in having biblical elders is you want elders who love and serve the congregation through leading. But if they've never led the congregation by serving, they're probably not going to lead the congregation by leading really well, right? So they, I think there is a progression to love and serve people in the trenches and on the front lines. 
you don't want an elder body that just develops as this group of wise advisors that's kind of you know detached from the from the the church body so i think that's i think that's a, a just in the general thought of things i think you can find folks uh, to, to serve on your elder team, some men to serve on your elder team who are actually serving the congregation right now. I think one thing, so we, we mentioned this in my uh, stupid stuff we did and survived in my misattempts at the elder process. One of the things you said, Jimbo, and I've heard it said before, it was you want to look for people who are living out those characteristics right now in yep. your body. And you don't want to put them in a position and hope they gain those characteristics because that usually just doesn't happen. Yeah. And so part of it is, is, you know, who, who among us are demonstrating the character qualities of a loving servant who's, who's leading people who are wise and the distinguishing mark of the elders is able to teach the word, right? They're able to teach the word of God in a way that, that people understand it and are empowered by it and equipped by it. Now, I appreciate what the nine marks guys say. Mark Dever says this. I think there are different, different levels of teaching. There's platform Sunday teaching. There's Bible study teaching. There's Sunday school teaching. There's, you know, discipleship group teaching. So there are all different levels of teaching, but they, they all share a common elder share a common characteristic that they're able to teach the word of God and help people understand it uh, in ways that, that help them grow and walk. One of the things I think, um, that, that I wish I would have thought to do perhaps and, and have done in our initial elder process, and I'm thinking about doing it with another, a couple of guys in our church, is before I formally declare that somebody is in a process, I probably want to informally put them in a process, mm-hmm. meaning I want to bring them close and I want, to, I want to help them study the word. I want to help them grow. I want to get to know them as a, as a person, individual, because man, there's nothing worse than like saying we got so-and-so who's going through the elder process and then some, you know, some part you, you determine, well, they're really not going to be an elder. Right. And so they kind of wash out of the process. And that's not, your process needs to be able to do that. But I think if we practice a little more discernment on the way in, it might be helpful for the individual and the congregation so that somebody doesn't feel like they're failing. Again, I, I, I'm not discounting the fact that um, the process is often designed to the elder, pro- a good solid elder process is designed to screen out and to clarify a call. But I think if we did some informal work up front, it might help us discern uh, who would be able to, to join us on the elder team. Yeah, I think you have to be very patient in installing elders. Uh, if you look at it, I mean, the biblical process of that, it, it's such a weighty position uh, to mm-hmm. have. I know of a couple of occasions here where I, I maybe asked guys into that position too quickly. Uh, one was... Uh, because almost every elder on our team at the time was way too young. And I, I knew we needed an older guy. And we had this one guy, but he was in his upper 80s. And health-wise, it was a struggle for him. And I'd asked him three times to consider it, and he said no. But then I kept thinking, but I have to, I need someone older on this team. And so I kind of pushed on a fourth time and asked him to be on it. And I regret it because we ended up and not anything to do with him. He's wise and he had great insight and he, he added a lot to the team. But it was right when we kind of entered into that three-year mark where things kind of blew up and it became very difficult and painful. And it was a hard season to be an elder in our church. And it was very difficult for him. He's a very conflict-adverse person, had never served in that kind of role in a church before. And so he had never seen some of the, the ugly underbelly of, of what happens yeah. behind the scenes sometimes uh, when people people decide to attack and it became just incredibly painful for him. 
he ended up leaving. And I, I'll never forget that morning when he – it was it was dramatic when he handed me his keys and he was crying and he just said, man, I can't – I just can't do this. I can't – I can't process this. And I just remember thinking, man, I just should have been patient and I shouldn't have – you know, one of the qualifications is to desire the office. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in there. And, and I had ignored that. And it's hard because you need it. And especially when you're leading in a dying church, you feel so alone and you feel, we talked about this in, in Bob's episode, there's such a hunger for help. I just need someone to help me carry this load that we end up too quickly handing more authority than we should to people. And so there has to be just a slow process. And that's why I think starting with deacons and and then working towards elders, but being very patient, starting that informal process, discipleship process, training process, just start small, be patient, don't rush it. And, And I would encourage any listener that wants to know more, go back to that episode that we did with Bob. I think it was episode number seven. We'll put it in the show notes, a link to it. And kind of, we talk more in detail of the proper way to install an elder team. I think starting with deacons is a great place to start. And then you work from there to kind of grooming guys who, who already show and demonstrate those characteristics and qualifications. I appreciate that. That was very helpful. Well, I, uh, the deacons becoming elders was one quite, was my follow-up question. And I think you guys addressed that well, because we have, now I have another, we just added a staff elder to our church recently this year. And so we're, we're looking for more lay elders because our lay elder just approached us and said that he feels like he needs to step aside because he doesn't desire the office uh, mm-hmm. anymore. Exactly what you guys just said. So um, there's a possibility I could be transitioning away from here. And so I'm trying to figure out how to help this other elder that will be taking over uh, in my role, um, identify some other elders in the church. And we were thinking about starting with the deacons, those who are already, like you said, serving and, um, meet some of those very similar um, qualifications for a deacon and elder. So, yeah, that's good. You know, I think the the thing that's important. I think about the care of our congregation. I think uh, in terms of you know, in ministry, I try to practice what I call hit by the bus theory. Like, if I get hit by the bus and go down, what happens? Is there somebody behind me? And so. We're close at our church right now, I think, to where there are some there are folks who could carry on. But I think my goal as a leader is to develop, like you say, lay leaders, good lay leaders who could carry on uh, and shepherd the congregation through a, a time of crisis or a time of my absence or the absence of the pastor. And so those kinds of those kinds of uh, that kind of vision helps inform as me as a leader as to what kind of individuals would be helpful to recruit and develop and see if the Lord is, is connecting them and created in their heart a desire to lead the congregation that way there, you know, there are a lot of people there, there are people who want to be in charge who shouldn't be in charge. Yeah. And there are people who don't want to be in charge who would be great as, as leaders in a, in a team. Uh, and so I think we have to think about uh, those dynamics in an individual's lives and, and, uh, and then the people in our congregation whom that's true of. And, and fortunately, I, I, the Lord has just blessed us with an elder team that they, they could, they can step up and lead, but they don't absolutely have to have the, the leadership role. Uh, and there's a humility among them, but there's also a, a strong capability in them 
where they, they could, as a, as a group of pastors uh, and leaders in our body, help shepherd the congregation. Appreciate your time. That was very helpful to think through that. And I like the term uh, delders. That was, that was very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put that in the show notes. We'll define that, delders. Yeah, I'll start using that. thanks nathan for being with us look hey we would love to hear your questions send us what you would like to talk about what are some things that we could help you as you are boots on the ground out there doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches as always we want to thank our sponsor 180 digital 180 digital is a team of design development and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small and they've just launched two awesome new products to help churches plants replants the first is called launchpad it's an all-in-one custom branding and website bundle developed specifically for planters, replanters, and revitalizers who need to get things moving quickly. The second is Church QuickSight. It was created for churches working with tight budgets and can help them get an amazing new church website in as little as one week at a really affordable price. Check out 180.church to learn more about these special new offerings and how 180 Church can help move your church forward.